This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 82, January 24, 2010. They come, fight, they destroy, they corrupt. It always ends the same. It only ends once. Anything that happens before that... Just progress. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. I'm Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're glad to be back for our first podcast of 2010 as we begin our final approach to the final season of Lost. The season premiere is still on track for February 2nd. And yes, that is Groundhog Day. But of course, we here on the island have an advanced screening to look forward to at least the first hour of that premiere with the Sunset on the Beach event this Saturday. We can't wait for that weekend, oh, no. which is kind of becoming a mini island-style Comic-Con for us and all the other Lost fans who are making the long, long trip from all over the world. We'll be seeing more than 80 fellow fans at some special events we're helping to organize, as well as some other events coming together in Waikiki. Now, our Transmission Brunch and Lost locations tour actually sold out, the one we told you about in our last show. Although, of course, we're all Lost fanatics, I think we were still surprised at how great <laughs> that response has yeah. been. It's actually been a little intimidating to some extent. Now, we've just upgraded to a bigger second bus and so now we have maybe 10 more seats left for the tour and we've got about just as many seats left for our kickoff dinner on Friday night. If by chance you're on your way and want to know more, you can still call 1-800-843-8771. That's 1-800-843-8771 extension 35 and our friend Bruce will try to help you out. Even if you can't make the trip though, you'll absolutely hear and read all about it online is there will be a whole gaggle of reporters, <laughs> bloggers, podcasters, and other hardcore fans sharing the love. It's going to be something else. Absolutely. Now, coming up on this special and final hiatus edition of The Transmission, we're just going to feast on what is always the best part of our podcast. Yes, we're showcasing you all, everybody, and we'll talk about some of the unanswered questions we all have about Lost and some of our best guesses as to what the answers might be. Then we've got a number of special prizes to give away from our season three rewatch last year where you our beloved listeners can get some great lost goodies for sticking with us through this long dark hiatus and uh, we're going to hear another fun lost song this one's actually coming from longtime lost musician and soon to be weekly lost podcaster paul kageji uh, aka bear naked hurley and finally we'll cover the last two weeks of lost production of 2010 in the forward cabin and this one is jam packed absolutely so you ready let's get lost Okay, now in our last podcast of 2009, we invited you to let us know what were the unanswered questions that you had as we entered this sixth and final season of Lost, the mysteries big and small that have twisted our brain to knots for the last five years, and I gotta say, you guys let us have it. Over 500 emails streamed in over the last few weeks. Many listeners sent in whole lists of questions, and it became a surprisingly interesting exercise to determine the unanswered questions that haunted the most of you. So while in a 
bit, we'll hear more extensively from you all, everybody. I thought we'd start by just going down a list of some top questions that many of us had and see if we can weigh in with possible answers. All right. So I think the most commonly mentioned unanswered question or mystery is basically, what's up with Walt? Yes, Walt. It's been a while, but people are still curious about him. How was he special, if he was special at all? At all? We do know that he has telekinetic powers and that he had them before he got on the island. Whether Ooh, right, or not right. his appearances on the island after he leaves are through his own powers or it's a manifestation of either Jacob or the man in black, we still have yet to find out. I think that maybe... The island saw that he had powers and decided they it, the island wanted Walt on, on its side. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that you, you point out that, yes, he was special on his own. A lot of people became special or had special experiences mm-hmm. after arriving on the island. Walt, on his own, was had some kind of ability. And uh, there was the Missing Pieces episode where it seemed that even after they had gotten Walt and they wanted to study Walt, yeah. that they were afraid of him. They'd bitten off more than they could chew. So mm-hmm. I do think that, yes, he was among you know the people on the plane and they realized that he could be a valuable asset um, about his appearances after he had left though that's that is a good question I don't think that it could necessarily have to be like the man in black or somebody possessing his form especially if we have that criteria that the person has to be dead for well, that to happen. yeah and again you know uh, Michael was asked has he ever been somewhere where he's not supposed to be mm-hmm. I actually think that conversation made there might have been something like that even off the island on a flashback at some point oh yeah where possibly. they kind of suggest that he just sort of appears periodically. He appears to Shannon as well. So I think uh-huh. that it's still fair to say that it might be him. It's just sort of the logistics of um, bringing the actor back. I, I think that there could be a way to explain what what the deal was with him, but only through someone else, that they find a, that there's a character or someone involved that we meet who also has some kind of special ability that uh, they pursue or try to study in the same way that they do right. Walt. You could, oh, so that's what they were doing. That's what's going on. I mean, because that doesn't even get any, anywhere near what they were doing with all the kids on the island. Yeah, and they still haven't told us what's going on with Zach and Emma. I right, mean, there must right. be a reason why Zach and Emma are still there. Or any of the kids. They're, they're, and, and, and because there have been conversations about the kids and what's going on with them, I'm confident about that. But Walt, definitely a big question for folks, uh, 14 or more of you mentioned it in your email, so it's kind of a big deal, I suppose. So, shouts out to uh, Ilias, Shelly and OKC, Mark G, Michelle in Honduras, Matt and Shano in Redondo Beach, and uh, Chatham's from Buffalo. And I, let's share just a couple of Walt thoughts. Emma wrote, Why is he so special? It seemed like in season five they might just let this issue drop since Locke didn't push to bring him back to the island. But they set up so much with him in season one and two, I'd be a little disappointed if they don't spend much time on that. Mm-hmm. And I think that. That that conversation in New York was oh yeah sad. It felt very final. It felt like a door closing. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like they were saying this just can't continue. Walt have a great life. Um, we'll talk about this later, but I don't know. You never know. Who else we got? Bonita in Atlanta writes: Could we possibly see somewhere in the future a flash forward with Walt as a leader, Jack or Locke as his advisor, and the people <laughs> looking up at the four-toed statue wailing plaintively? Walt! Oh yes, the call of the worshippers of Walt. I can certainly <laughs> see that as a possibility. I don't know. That's I don't great. Know. Well, you know, the thought for that is that there's a lot of people curious about the next generation. You've got Walt, got, yeah, and Aaron, and you still got the kids of these characters and how they might come in. I don't. I, I, although I think the four-toed statue isn't going to be around in any it, 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 at all. But again, a fun thought there, Bonita. Next mystery. 
What do the numbers mean? Yes, this is also probably high on everyone's list. Uh, what are your th- thoughts on that? I don't think they mean anything in and of themselves. I think they're meant to kind of illustrate the whole time loop concept. Um, Hurley knows the numbers that get etched onto the hatch, and therefore he knows the numbers when he gets to the island, he plays them in the lottery. I think it's just a way to demonstrate that there's some kind of time shift or loop in, in effect. Right. I think, I mean, to me, the numbers really feel more like a MacGuffin, not something yeah. that has any explanation or cause, but that it, its mere existence is significant. And that's mm-hmm. what we should be focusing on. I mean, and don't forget, it. actually, a lot of people say, you know, the numbers have to go back. They go back before that hatch mm-hmm. because they hear the numbers on the recording or they said, now there are people who think that was Hurley that put that's the name true. on that recording. Yeah. And so where and when that might happen, I, I'm I'm not sure. Um, from uh, from at least ten folks had the numbers on their list: uh, Lou in Daisy Town, Mark B in Texas, Carol and Shirley, Mike in St. Louis, Terry B and Brooke. Uh, we got uh, here's a thought from Scott in San Jose. I felt like they tried to answer this question in season five when we saw Dharma building the swan and Hurley right. seeing the numbers, like you said. But that doesn't really explain the significance of the numbers in the show. I'm afraid that the numbers were a bold idea that they had at the beginning, but have now run out of runway to make any sense of them. What do you think? Well, I don't think they really had a plan at all. I think, like like you said earlier, it's the Maltese Falcon. Mm. It's just a way for the plot to go forward. I suppose. But um, there there was some introduction of the numbers in, in another context. Right. John Ball writes, will the Valenzetti equation get a mention as well as the other web stuff that was linked in? Right. Now, we didn't do too much of the ARG stuff, but uh, the Valenzetti equation was sort of the numbers that predicted the end of the world Mm -hmm. and that they needed to change just one of those numbers and the world wouldn't end. So again, is that something that's actually relevant to the show? Is that something that's going on or that that was really just another universe? I I don't know. It would be great if they were able to work that in, but if it was in an ARG, I don't know know how they're going to bring it back exactly yeah. i mean to me again when you if you start talking about valenzetti equation and any of those other things it seems like that's a completely additional dimension of what might be going on the island and that just might be a little too much to try and squeeze in mm-hmm. to the last 16 hours of the show um, our next mystery uh, top mystery from our listeners was who are adam and eve go I'm going with Rose and Bernard. Really? Yes. Well, I think that it seemed like a reasonable conclusion because they stayed on the island and they were happy there and it was a couple and there was sort of the black and white thing going on with the stones. So I think that's a reasonable thought. I don't think it's them. I don't think we know. I think, but I am also confident that they're going to tell us who they are. Oh, yeah, they absolutely will. Is because they pointed out, they said, back when they were filming season two or season three, they said, one of the top questions we always get is, are we making this up as we go along? Well, look at Adam and Eve. When you see that, you're going to know that we had a plan all along. Uh-huh. So that better come up. Or I think oh, there's, yeah. There's yeah, gonna be, it has to. There's going to be heck to pay. And uh, 10 folks also had the Adam and Eve on their list. Nikki in Poland. Constantine from Greece. Wow, it's an international yeah. uh, mystery there. Tara from Long Island. Virginia, New York. Mark G. Vera in Russia. And Frog went a cordon. So <laughs> <laughs> let's hear some thoughts from folks on Adam and Eve. Leo in Maryland writes, Adam and Eve were male and female bodies placed in the cave by someone and not placed side by side. So to me, that suggests they were not that close to each other, maybe 
may be enemies and not lovers. Why were Adam and Eve not buried? Is there importance to being buried on the island? I'm not sure about the importance of burying bodies. Many of the buried bodies seem to be buried as a way to hide evidence of foul play, such as Amy wanting the bodies buried after her attack so as not to reveal the broken truce, the buried U.S. soldier bodies as a way of concealing evidence and the burying of Danielle, Alex, and Carl after their murder, and also to conceal the evidence. Some bodies that are not buried reappear, Christian, Yemi, Horace, and now Locke, and others that are buried also return, on island, Alex, and off island, Ana Lucia. I think the need to bury is to hide the evidence, not anything about reincarnation. So what do you think about that? Are we overthinking the whole thing about did you did you bury the body or not, or did you leave it out or not, or you know even Ben's dad being left out in the open? Is that a, a significant factor i would say that if it wasn't for this scene where they um they put colleen on a funeral pyre and sent it out to see that to me that whole scene it felt so insignificant at the time but i really think it was to indicate something to us yeah i I personally think that there's more than just hiding evidence i don't think there's like who was it i don't think there's a forensics hatch on the island (laughs) that they need to worry about i think there's definitely something there but you know again uh, leo makes a good point that they may not have been a couple you know Uh if it was if it was rose and bernard why aren't they in each other's arms yeah maybe so i think that's a great thought um i'm going to put down that it's widmore and hawking that, really? You know, yeah, because there's sort of that icy relationship with them, but they also do seem to have some kind of tie to the island that goes Windmore way, way back. Okay, I we'll think see. I may even like that even better. All right. Uh, our next mystery for everybody from everybody was, what are the whispers? What do you think? Um, Dead people talking. Dead people talking, really? Yes. That, uh, that you know, uh, Miles' ability to speak with the dead is just somehow amplified. Those voices are somehow amplified when they're on the island so that you can almost hear them as a regular person. Well, we they can't, they hear them, they know that they're there, but I don't think the characters have ever worked out what the whispers are actually saying. Right, right. But there there have been a lot of, there's their entire podcast devoted to de- decoding the whispers, right. separating the channels, reversing the audio, and there is distinguishable language being used. Mm-hmm. Questions like, what are, what, what should we do anything? What should we do about her? You know what? They're really kind of commenting on the action or what's going on right. in that scene. I, I, I think I've said, and I was really cemented in this view once time travel became an element in the show that the whispers are really the kind of interactions or presences of other people in the same place from another time and particularly where it might be the same person you know we we were wondering what would happen if Locke could actually bump into himself or if uh, we saw Miles seeing baby Miles um, in the in the Dharma you know cabins and so what was going on there i personally think that you know that kind of interaction isn't actually possible at least not directly and so what what the whispers are are when there's sort of this crossover where even if Locke had gone to see himself at the hatch and started yelling at himself like there's a man down there or something uh-huh. he would just hear whispers that that's really what it is just some sort of trans uh, dimensional um interference but oh okay now do you think they're going to address this in season six Yes or no? Yeah, yeah. All right. The whispers are going to be explained. So that's your bet. Now, we've got many more mysteries to discuss, including more in-depth thoughts from you all, everybody. But we wanted to take a quick break to remind you that today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the leading provider in spoken word entertainment. Audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from that can be downloaded and play back anywhere, anytime, while you're walking your dog, while you're doing your homework. Just like the transmission and thanks to Audible.com, you can get a 
free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. Now, there are many books mentioned on Lost and many books that can also help deepen your understanding of the show. Audible.com is a great way to dive into them. For example, you could pick up The Third Policeman by Flan O'Brien. I actually read this a, a while back. Um, it was one of the first books to appear on Lost. I think it appeared in early season two. It was very prominently featured. Um, it's a very surreal book. It's very complex. I think a lot of the things that go on in the book we're going to see in even bigger prominence in season six and i think it's worth a read absolutely now we actually got an email from michelle in honduras about this book she just read it as well she says in it the main character at one point is taken into an underground labyrinth sort of similar to the swan hatch he's shown a box that contains a substance called omnium which his guides tell him can transform itself into anything that he desires just like the magic box so he wishes up some whiskey and money and whatever else he wants and then wishes up a large bag to put all his treasures in but it's not until he's ready to leave the underground labyrinth dragging his bag that his guides tell him that if he attempts to take anything he's received he will die this seems like a reasonable explanation for the gifts that the island has given our losties most obviously the island gave john locke the ability to walk but when he tried to leave the island this ability was taken away through his broken leg on a more esoteric level john left the island with faith in himself and his specialness but was unable to sustain this newfound confidence off the island which led to his attempted suicide so i think that's a reasonable way to kind of interpret interpret the magic box and this book on audible.com is narrated by jim norton and you can make it your free pick with this special offer just go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission that's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission all right back to the mysteries next up on the long list of questions is what is the smoke monster and uh, eight folks had that high on their list what do you think I said early on that it's maybe some kind of alarm system and some kind of attack dog all in one. I'm I'm going to stick by that, although its ability to read people and to judge people's actions it, it's a little unexpected. So I, I I don't I don't really know how that fits into my my scenario. You know, I really wanted the smoke monster to be nothing more than what people described it as that it could at least be at least that simple that it's a security system that it's something Mm -hmm. that um, Ben can release but can't control, like Mm -hmm. as you said, an attack dog. But then, you know, the the judging thing has also been what it's been doing apparently since season one. We really got a kind of a strong answer or explanation for the flashing and seeing yourself. We know that when John Locke was judged the first time, he thought it was a beautiful thing and Mr. Echo, it's implied, did not see a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And then their whole scene where, um, you know, the smoke monster appears, uh, then disappears, and then Alex appears, right? And then Alex disappears, and the smoke monster comes back. That's your, your that's your you know, total stagecraft, basic way for one person who's playing two people. So you do get the idea that the smoke monster can take shapes. Now you remember, since season one, everybody had the was convinced that the uh, nanobots, nanobots, the yeah. nanobot thing. Um, I think it was a Michael Crichton novel mm-hmm. that everyone was excited. Prey was Prey. it called? So. I'm not sure if it's nanobots. I don't think it's nanobots, but there is also the shape 
sort of forming thing going on there. Um, so I don't know. I, I really don't know what the smoke monster is, but if I was going to pick any explanation that would be in the top three to be explained in season six, it's got to be the smoke monster. Yeah. Um, the, the shape kind of assuming thing, in addition to the judging thing, really kind of threw me off with the whole Alex appearance and what they were trying to show us there. But then it reminded me that, you know, we've been talking about an ability to possess the bodies of the dead, so don't leave them buried or don't, you know, make right. sure you don't leave them exposed. And so everyone thought that, oh, that's what was going on with fake Locke. But it wasn't because fake the real Locke's body falls out of the box. Right. So whatever is the Locke walking around, it's not the possessed body of John Locke. It is a completely different form, a completely different object. And I think that's what Alex was. So right. the smoke monster might be more complex than we thought. Uh, thanks to everybody who had the smoke monster question, including Sandy in LA, Will in Alabama, Tammy or Razzle Dazzle 77. And I actually missed Annabelle from the Netherlands, Nicole Sawyer's little sassafras and Scott Shea <laughs> in San Jose. Again, a very popular mystery. Next up, who is Christian Shepherd and who is Jack's granddad? What do you think? I think Jack's granddad might even be more significant than Christian Shepherd just because he's so mysterious. He comes out of nowhere. We, we kind of feel like there's some sort of connection, especially the way that he says, someday I'm going to get out of here. It's, it's all so strange. I mean, we know that Christian Shepard at one point had two lives. I mean, he had, a, you know, he was, he had a family with Margot, um, Jack's mom, and he also had a, a, you know, he had a family with Claire's mom. So we don't know how far back his, involvement with the island might go i think the the bigger question is who is you know who is jack's granddad really well i mean the thing about christian shepherd that i think is significant is there was this whole thing about him like you mentioned you put it very well he's living two lives right mm -hmm. and i think we kind of get the idea that that happens to some of the characters on the island whether it was uh it was um, widmore you know uh -huh. he seemed to be seeing a a, a non you know a, someone off the island you know it seemed like he was leading a double life we even had tom to some extent kind of leaving That's this true. living this double life in new york versus what's on the island or maybe he was just partying it up i don't know but that kind of dual um, life lifestyle, almost living like a person with a secret identity. I kind of like that about Christian Shepard and how that might tie him to the island. Um, I don't think it was insignificant that uh, he was the body on the plane. But again, it wasn't, uh, in that case, we can say that it might have been a possessed body versus, mm -hmm. again, what was going on with Alex or um, fake Locke. So a lot of really good mysteries there. I like the idea of Jack's dad being important. And Jesse writes, wow, can you imagine if the bad guy to the whole series is Jack's grandfather? That would be amazing. That would explain why both Christian and Claire are so buddy-buddy with him, or why he picked to inhabit Christian instead of what I assume were numerous other dead bodies when the plane crashed. Mm -hmm. Actually, I think that's a good point. You know, I, I just said that uh, Christian Shepard was the only dead body on the plane. That's not really true. Well, we don't really, yeah, we don't know for sure. Well, after the plane crashed, there were dead bodies everywhere. Oh, yeah, you that's picked, true. You could have picked anyone, so why that's him? True. And there is the whole Shepard family clan, the Claire, the Aaron being special. There's just so much going on genetically with that family that there's got to be something going on. And thanks also to Kid Flash, for your interest. I think we've got maybe a few more uh, questions we'll try to answer. What do you think about Claire? Where is she and what's going on with her? Oh, this is one I honestly cannot answer. I mean, I thought she died after her house blew up. Um, and, well, I, I don't know. I mean, Sawyer saw her. It wasn't just Miles. So she wasn't dead. 
I, I really don't know. I think maybe she's off somewhere with Christian Shepherd. Well, I definitely remember that those discussions about um, once that uh, cabin exploded, that what we were seeing wasn't really clear or something that had happened to her at that point, uh-huh. whether she was a possessed body or whether just, again, she was in a different place, except for the fact that you could see her just like, I don't know, people could see dead Charlie walking around off mm-hmm. the island with Hurley. So a lot of interesting, you know, possibilities with her. Brian Z in Michigan said, she, you know, I don't understand how she went from sweet mama to aimlessly wandering the jungle, leaving Aaron behind. I do think that it's significant that um, the one thing that was most important to Claire before suddenly become unimportant and you left your baby out under mm-hmm. a tree somewhere. So I think I think that might be the first clue that whoever is Claire is not who Claire was originally. But uh, um, it's, I don't think it's spoilerous just to say because it was said since season four that, uh, you know, the actress who plays her, her character Durian. was going to take a little break, yeah. but she's coming back. So I definitely think the question about Claire is going to be answered in season six. Uh, next question, and I, this is one that we've been debating quite a bit mm-hmm. so maybe we'll just let our listeners do the talking the question was is the lock that we've seen all along really lock or is he jacob not jacob the monster or something else um in short what do you think i've been saying that lock is not lock from way far back how far back i can't really tell you but now we definitely have two locks we have the lock in the box and we have lock in the temple like you said. Right. So I, I don't know. I'm going to say no just because of all the times it seems like we, we, we see two characters doing something and Locke comes out of nowhere and he knows exactly what's going on. He's, com- you know, he's completely coherent and he has a plan. Right. To me, that just says that he's either not himself or he's been there all along. Well, but he also has these moments of weakness, of doubt, of wanting to kill himself. Right. I mean, there's certainly, you know, he's not an all-knowing person, although he seems to have those moments. So you're saying that um, w- that Locke has been weird or special in some way since the pilot, that since he... Possibly. Since, okay, well, that's an interesting thought. Now, Shanna also asks how long the man in black was pretending to be Locke, if that's what's going on. And uh, she says, I was fascinated by the discussion about the man in black and how far, how far back he goes. I can't really explain it, but I think he only goes back to when Locke's body returned to the island. Uh, there is just weird semantics with the man in black and two versions of Locke and whatnot. It makes sense in my head. Plus, the pathetic Locke we see about to commit suicide is too true to character. Also, we generally believe Christian Shepard is the man in black, and he was in the same room as Locke in season four. Do we think the Christian Shepherd is the man in black and that that's what's been like in the cabin that it wasn't it wasn't uh, I don't know. No, I I thought I think there are three distinct people. I think there's Jacob, the man in black and Christian Shepherd. I can't tell you exactly what side Christian Shepherd is on, you know, as of now. But I really think that the man in black is somebody else. Right. Well, someone else had thoughts on that as well. The real Henry Gale writes, do you think John Locke has been dead the whole time we have seen him on the island? I think he has been. I mainly say this based on Locke's backgammon scene with Walt in which he describes the game and then asks Walt if he wants to know his secret. We are always led to believe that this secret is that Locke was a cripple who now can walk. However, based on the context of that conversation, I think the secret Locke told Walt was that he was brought back to life by the island. Darlton claimed they have known the ending all along and can prove it. What if they finish filming that scene and we will see it this season? Well, that would be really fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm, I, that I, would be awesome. I, I, I don't know if it goes back that far. And, and there was the thing with Mikhail when Mikhail says, well, I knew a John Locke, but the John Locke I knew was para. Right, 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 right. right. So I think that something about John Locke 
coming to the island and being able to walk was a significant event, not a mm-hmm. predetermined event, not part of a grander master plan. I have to believe that the lock that we fell in love with, at least up until the point where he was strangled by Ben, was the same lock. So I'm going to defer with you, and I'm going to say that that's when Locke died, at Ben's hands, at his at the end of his own pathetic real life, and I'm not happy with that ending of that lock. But, but what I about think- when he fell out of the building? I think he was dead. Well, yes. yes. So now we also see that Jacob kind of had a role. Actually, that's true. I mean, we've we've set a whole new pivot point thanks to the season five finale mm-hmm. with um, uh, Jacob playing a role in these characters' past. So um, I don't think this question is going to be easily answered. Finally, Ilias says, Locke was unwilling to kill his father, but had no problem knifing Naomi. Well, between the two events, he was shot by Ben and was left for dead in the pit. But he got back up and out of that pit with the help of Walt. If there was one moment where a second Locke appeared, it must have been then. If you guys remember, we thought he was a goner when we saw that episode where Ben shot him only to come back. Yeah. So was that a decent kind of transition point? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Now that you think about it, you know, Locke hits the ground outside of a building. Locke is in a plane crash. Locke gets shot by Ben is in the bottom of a pit and gets revived by Walt. How many deaths has this guy had and that's how many true. opportunities? I, that's, that's, that's as good of a thought as any. Um, next question uh, from Lynn, Mark, Mike, and a number of others. Are we going to learn about the Black Rock? And what is it? Absolutely. I am going to venture a guess that Richard Alpert was on the Black Rock. Um, to, you know, Sawyer says it's some kind of slaving ship. I, I think maybe one or more of our characters will be on the Black Rock, and that's how Richard Alpert got there. Well, so a number, a couple of people did write in and say that one of their mysteries was, what was the deal with Alpert's hair in the you know jungle scene with Ben? It's the only time we've seen him like that. And and maybe they just didn't know what they were going to do with his character, and so they set him, gave him, put him in that ridiculous outfit. And <laughs> I think that thinking that that was a pirate outfit or something related to a swashbuckling bunch of folks, that could be one way to possibly mm-hmm. explain it. But I also remember we discussed, you know, when Albert is kind of playing a thug for Ben early on, yeah. you know, um, that they might have, again, I think it's also possible that they weren't sure what they were going to do with his character. I think that the Black Rock is obviously going to be significant. Why would they start the season five with that ship? Um, mm-hmm. But I also like the fact that they made it clear by the existence of the statue and of the context of their conversation, Jacob and the Man in Black, that the Black Rock was certainly not the first and probably right. was in a long stream of vessels bringing people to the island. But I'm with you. I think the Black Rock um, certainly going to be key in season six. Um, another mystery that came up, and one that I think we basically have to say has been put to bed, but I'll mention it anyway, is what's the backstory for our friend Libby? We'll never know. No. I mean, they gave her the last name Smith, when they showed the montage mm-hmm. of dead people, they're like, okay, so one, she's not tied to anybody you possibly know. And, you know, basically, why was she in the, uh, why was she in the mental institution with Hurley? Mm-hmm. Because she was busted up about the death of her husband. That's nothing a more, good explanation. Nothing less. I mean, I think there was a lot of potential for her character, um, but uh, I, I would not put that high on the list of, I mean, th- look at all of the mysteries we've discussed so far. Do I, do I care what, what was the deal with Libby? Yes. Do I want them to spend a lot of time on that question? Probably not so much. Um, uh, what do you think about this question uh, from Matt H. Uh, Melonpool, Bonita in Atlanta again. Uh, are we going to learn more about Desmond, the man who was told the island's not done with you yet? Well, that's, you know, the island's not done with you yet is a is a very telling statement. I mean, to me, it says there's a lot to be told about Desmond. However, the whole, the whole, the way his story ended up last season with him in the hospital, it, it, 
I don't know. It didn't bode well for to me. Right. I mean, I'm not. I mean, I think that uh, they that hopefully they wouldn't write that. It's almost like opening the door for a sequel for a movie by saying that yeah. I was not done with you yet. Why would they not do something with that? But uh, you know, the other thing that is curious about Desmond's character is he was one of the people that was told it was special. He was special. Mm-hmm. The rules don't apply to you. He's the one guy that could help get all of these things happening in season five because he could remember something that didn't actually happen until uh, uh, Faraday went back and messed with the future or whatever yeah. that whole thing was. So I think that Desmond special. I think that he's key. Um, I, I I personally like Henry Ian Cusick a great deal as an actor so I, I will too. say that I want to see um, some kind of story with what's going on with Desmond and certainly um, we're not alone now Fizzlehoff writes the question I want answered is where did Desmond come from he hasn't had a childhood flashback in all the seasons I think it's important that the interconnected family thing to see where he came from unless he's not real if he really is special I think we might get the answer to where he came from his significant or insignificant parents or background in season six and I think Digidug had the had a similar point that he wanted to make on the blog. He writes, Is it my imagination or is Desmond the only remaining regular whose parents we've never met? Is that significant? What do you think? Mommy and daddy issues, we know the parents of almost all of our characters, but Desmond just seems to pop out of nowhere. Yeah. In fact the earliest we ever see him I think is when he joins the monastery, that's like the earliest point in his life where we meet him. Yeah, I don't think it goes too much further, or that maybe joining the army or um, wanting to, to to marry the girl and running off to join the monastery. Yeah, I mean, his story picks up pretty contemporarily. I mean, there's not a significant amount of childhood yeah. or youth. You know, for before, before that was pointed out to us, it hadn't occurred to me that we never see Desmond as a child. Right. So there's uh, definitely a lot more to him. Um, and I think we're both on the same page that we want to have him, uh, that we want to see more. What, what, what other questions have we got? Who is Richard Alpert? All right. Well, we've talked about him a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you say he's a black rocker. I definitely think he's a black rocker. I think that um, he definitely goes far back. Um, I kind of liked that it was commented that he never seems to age. And then there was also the comment um, about John Locke from Charles Whitmore that he never seemed to age. And that was a result of time travel. You know, mm-hmm. how do you look exactly the same way that you, I saw you way back in the 50s? So I think that there's something to that as far as his agelessness. But I also feel that he he does play kind of that secondary uh, servant role to a great leader. Um, and as a, as a condition of having that position, he may be cursed with having it, to stick around for a while. Exactly. Time. That's what I was going to say. I mean, to me, the, the ability to live forever and not age is more of a curse than a blessing. Right. And it seems like it, it's some kind of a deal. You know, you, you can live and you can, you know, you can help us and you can be part of this island but you will never age. Right. I mean, there are a lot of questions as far as what he knows and how much he knows and um, if he really is completely fully aware of what's going on around him. We had a couple of iffy points in season five, certainly. Um, and the whole thing about them speaking Latin and that being what connects Richard to Ilana arriving on the island. Mm-hmm. I think that Richard Apple is definitely going to be key. Um, they And I'm almost certain that uh, he's going to be greatly explored during season six. Hume from Detroit uh, also mentioned his pirate look, Mark, as well. So I, I think we're all in agreement that we like that. What else? What happened between Widmore and Hawking? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of an odd relationship. I call it kind of an icy relationship. Clearly, there's a lot of history there. Kim and St. Louis actually asked if they were ever married, if there was, uh, if, you know, because we saw them as young people and they were a couple, mm-hmm. and then you see them off the island and they're not together. So, did it come all the way together? Was there actually a, a, a I don't know. relationship? My, my pet theory is that for some reason they weren't allowed to date. 
you know there was some kind of a rule or 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 maybe it was just something as simple as they were aware of the island's fertility issues all along and she was encouraged not to see him i think things just got very complicated just like you know we see a lot of complicated love relationships on lost i think this is just another one of well, them well wasn't one of the reasons why widmore was kicked, kicked off the island was having a relationship with a non the, yeah, someone yeah. off the island so i mean clearly oh, yeah. there's a kind of an inf- infidelity issue there going maybe and i oh. i like what you kind of point out about the fertility issues and maybe just falling in love on the island is a bad idea in any case but mm-hmm. yeah i'm not sure if uh, if there's going to be more to the two of them but uh i think that because hawking was off the island and doing all these machinations and making things happen that um and we know that uh, uh widmore is certainly key that's yeah that's another I mean, I keep thinking that we should kind of narrow down to just a few of these mysteries that we want answered, but I want all of these mysteries answered. Um, Okay, one of my questions, certainly, and a few other people had that as well, Um, Chatham's from Buffalo, Mark B. in Texas, what's the deal with the vaccines? Getting the shots, that was also early on. That actually carried through through several seasons. Are the vaccines real or just an imaginary placebo? I think it's some kind of protection against the time anomalies, the time shift on the island. Um, You know, I think the vaccine could have prevented the the madness that erupted on the freighter. Um, That's my personal opinion about the vaccine. Yeah, okay. I also believe that the vaccine, you know, wasn't a placebo, that it had a specific role. I'm not sure if it had to deal with the magnetic anomalies or other health issues. I do like the idea that, you know, clearly we've got these bloody noses going on, Mm -hmm. that maybe if you were going to want to stay in the same time and not jump around, that maybe you had to have some kind of mercury or a specific kind of combination of chemicals in your blood. I don't know what it is, but I do think that the vaccines um, were more than nothing but I I probably wouldn't throw myself off a bridge if they didn't really go into the vaccines. I mean, they seemed to make sense where they were used. Um, they were a very important opportunity for plot twists as far as Claire was concerned or um, obviously Desmond. Um, but, I, you know, again, they don't, they don't seem to, in my mind, be tying my mind in any knots. So if they drop that in favor of any of the other questions that we've just discussed, I'll be perfectly fine with that. So that was supposed to be a brief rundown <laughs> really of the questions that you guys want answered next season we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we'll hear from the last line and then more of your thoughts as you all everybody continues yeah this is connor in mississippi uh, i've got 10 burning ultra serious questions about loss heading into season six and just all these things that i desperately need answers on first off what happened to Alfred Stylus before, you know, the whole running with Ben in the jungle? I mean, what was going on with his hair then? Two, um, you know, Ben's mom died, and his dad was horrible. So who actually did teach Ben to read? Uh, number three, who was the other's Latin teacher? Number four, how many albums did the uh, Drive Shift Greatest Hit CD sell? Number five, why did Lot not grow any hair? while he was on the island. I mean, he doesn't seem that old to where he wouldn't be able to grow any hair. Was he shaving his head and off in a corner somewhere? Um, number six, when Oceanic 815 crashed, why did Ben send a spinal surgeon to the plane? You know, you would think he would send somebody a little less, you know, I don't know, dispensable. He said, he said Ethan was a, was a spinal surgeon. Um, number seven, after Nikki died, what happened in the next season of Expose? I mean, it had to be huge, right? Number eight, uh, where can I get some Geronimo Jackson CDs? That seems pretty awesome. Number nine, where can I rent the movie that was being shown in room 23? You know, 
seems really entertaining. And number 10 in Letterman style, who's going to end up with the island version of The Tonight Show, Jack or Locke? Right. Hope you can help me out with these guys. Thanks. We tap into our lost line with a fun countdown there from <laughs> Connor. Any of those mysteries that you wanted to weigh in on? Yeah, there's Latin teacher. Her name was Agnes, and she was from Des Moines. Oh, yes. I, I didn't. <laughs> I'm making that yes, up. Okay, we're we're saying that the Latin <laughs> teacher was Agnes. That is now true. Um, and if you wanted to see the video from um, Room 23, that was an extra. It was a hidden Easter egg on mm-hmm. the season three DVD. So there you go, Connor. Let's hear from an old friend now, Jesse. Hey there, Ryan and Jen. It's Jesse again, coming to you from the awesome feedback you're getting about uh, mysteries and all sorts of stuff. Much love to the people in your comments section. Uh, First, I want to give a holy freaking crap to President Obama for moving the State of the Union address so it won't interfere with the premiere of Lost. Even he can't stop the power. And if he did, we'll just summon the smoke monster. Besides that, which is hilarious, uh, the next thing I want to do is talk about the mysteries I had. I have a few. Now, I'm not going to talk about the smoke monster or the numbers. I hope, God willing... The Lost writers are smart enough to give us those answers by the end of the season and the end of the show, or my brain may explode. But these are things that I don't think we might ever get an answer to, which is going to sort of piss me off. I don't know. Uh, the first one, what is the deal with Hurley's visions, right? Specifically, like, when Charlie goes to see him and other people can actually see Charlie, or... Basically, why does Hurley have visions? Why does Miles have visions? I get it's connected to the island, but why? Uh, Next one, going back to that whole Aaron psychic thingy. When Mr. Echo goes to Australia, the dead girl, the dead girl who springs to life, what was going on in that scene? To this day, it's one of the freakiest, that and the, the room 23 are two of the freakiest scenes I've seen in my life. That freaked me out. I don't understand what that was about. Uh, And then last, even though I know it won't happen, I would really like to see a scene where we see uh, the 1980s or something where when Ben becomes leader, or at least why Eloise is no longer on the island and why, even though she's like, what is her purpose off the island? Why is she there? I like to know that too. Is it just cause of Daniel? And she was like, I got to go raise him off the island. I, I don't understand. Anyway, I am so excited about this season, and I cannot wait. And I'll uh, talk to you guys when the season starts. Again, Ryan, Jen, love you guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks for your call, Jesse. It has been a long time. Yeah, good to hear from you. Absolutely, although that was only a little bit of what Jesse had to say. That was a <laughs> six to eight minute comment originally. I mean, I think uh, Jesse's got 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 some got a future ahead of him. Yeah, well, he should pull in Anna and Indiana and start his own show. Exactly. Get off ours. Get on your own. But uh, some fun, some but still some great uh, thoughts there. The visions, I think, are certainly key. We know Desmond's visions have a very specific explanation. Mm-hmm. But Hurley, has he been? Has he seen as a vision anyone that wasn't Charlie? What else is Anna has, Lucia? Oh, right, right, okay. And the thing about uh, the, about De- uh, Hurley's visions that are interesting, though, that he noted was that other people saw Charlie, mm-hmm. and even when, you know, Dave could throw a coconut at him, I mean, so there's sort of some weird reality to 
to uh, Hurley's visions. I'm not sure what how those could necessarily be explained. To me, I think they really play the role of conscience, like any other like vision, Jiminy Cricket, right, right. right. Um, but uh, Charlie had visions too. I mean, he's he, the whole thing with his dad and the butcher shop. Oh and, yeah, yeah. And the and piano he, with uh, yeah, and he thinks inside. yeah, and he yeah. That, that's why he wanted to Echo to. Um, Baptize Aaron. Right, right. So, I mean, I don't know. Actually, I think a lot of characters have had uh, visions. That's more of a dream. Uh, there's a lot going on. I, you know, even I think in any kind of drama, in any kind of story, dreams do play a role. Dreams do add color and depth and history to a character. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they necessarily are going to ever mean anything. I mean, I'm not sure if there's going to be an answer to what the visions are. But um, Jesse's also curious about Eloise Hawking, what's kind of going on with the history of that leadership. I'm, yeah, I certainly I certainly would like to know, but I do think that season five was about as much of the history of the machinations and politics on the island that I, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of curious now as to what happened between her and, and Widmore. I would really like kind of just to, to see that so we're moving that one up a little higher on our list i am all right um our next call from mr jacob aloha ryan and jen this is mr jacob calling in with my season six questions that i need answered or that i would like answered um the first one came up during uh the season three rewatch of uh through the looking glass and that question is you know what was up with the whole we have to go back or else they all die but you know um, and, you know, it also came up in the beginning of season five. Was this just a lie made up by Locke to get Jack back to the island? I mean, we do know that Locke started to drift towards some Ben-like characteristics once he was in charge, but is that all there is? You know, Jack just seems so convinced, and now every time I see that, we have to go back, Kate. See, I want to just say, you know, but why? Just because Locke died or because you've been seeing your dead dead? I don't know. It might just be like a, a plot hole. I'm not sure, but I would like to know more about that, you know, maybe if there's an alternate timeline and, uh, you know, if they hadn't gone back, then everyone would have died from the incident. I I don't know. I just want to know what was up with that. Uh, The second one is something that most people probably haven't thought of in a long time, but it's always been bothering me, and uh, that is um, in lockdown. So while Locke was pinned uh, underneath the blast door map and Ben, uh, you know, put the numbers in to stop the countdown, um, in the next episode when they spoke about it, uh, ben told Locke that he didn't do it, that, uh, you know, he put he didn't put the numbers in and the clock just reset. And um, so we know that he had to because, you know, the planet wasn't destroyed. Uh, but, you know, why did Ben lie about that? The the, uh, the easy answer is, you know, because Ben's a liar and likes to play head games, but would Ben be willing to destroy the planet just to mess with Locke's head? Um, anyway, I'm curious what you guys think about those, and um, I will talk to you soon. Bye. Mahal for your call, Mr. Jacob. Well, so first of all, do you think that they fully explained why it was important that we have to go back, that it's a big deal? No, they haven't explained it yet, but they will. I'm I'm confident of that because, the you know, either the bomb goes off or it, it, it doesn't. So we, you know, it's coming to a point where they have to explain that almost because it's, you know. Well, you had the line, you know, there's a war coming. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of see where uh, Mr. Jacob's coming from in the sense that, you know, there was there was always those talk like did did Locke tell you what happened ever after you left right. the island and like it sounded like some enormous holocaust had occurred but mm-hmm. we haven't necessarily seen that but maybe that's still part of what's unfolding right now with whatever happens after uh, you know Juliet hits the bomb in the pit you know mm-hmm. I think maybe we just haven't gotten to the point where we understand why we have to go back but uh, certainly a good observation now do you think uh, that Ben would have wanted 
to trick Locke into not punching in the numbers just so that Locke would be the guy to blow up the planet? Absolutely. I mean, somebody says to Locke after the freighter blows up, you know, you killed all those people on the freighter. And he says, so he's willing to expend any lives necessary in order to achieve his goals. But that sure seems like a heck of a, I mean, I'm a fan of head games as as, as much as anyone else, but certainly, you know, oh, I didn't punch in the numbers. It's totally false. Nothing's going to happen. And then we see that what what actually happens when you don't punch in the numbers. I think Uh that's a pretty big deal. I don't know. I mean, what was it? What would be the end result of Ben succeeding in getting Locke into not punching punching in the numbers? Um, I I think that's a perfectly uh, good question. I'm not sure if it's ever going to be answered. Always love uh, hearing calls on the Lost Line. Thanks to Eric in Brooklyn and Human Detroit as well. But we've got to get to some prizes, so let's move on to the email and blog. Mario in Philadelphia writes, The biggest question I have is from the episode The Shape of Things to Come, where Alex is shot to death by Kimi and as stunned Ben says, he changed the rules. It's obvious that Ben did not expect this to happen and the he in question is Charles Widmore. But what were the rules and how did they change? Had Ben seen the future with Alex in it and ultimately it was changed, meaning whatever happened didn't happen? I think that's certainly a big question. What was the deal with the rules? Brad C. in Kentucky also wanted to know. And Ron in Toronto wrote, In the shape of things to come, Ben is dressed in black, Widmore in a light-colored nightshirt, and when Widmore asks if he's there to kill him, Ben says, You know I can't. This scene is essentially identical to the opening scene between the man in black, AJ, and Jacob. Ben is clearly taking the the role of the man in black, wanting to kill Widmore or Jacob, but is unable to because it's against the rules. Widmore, much like Jacob, appearing to attempt to get the 815s back to the island for his own design. So what do you think about that? I think certainly that parallel, we were supposed to pick up on it, you know, that yeah. uh, there's there's there are rules, whatever they are, and who puts them in place, I'm not sure, and that it prevents the two, whatever the two power people struggling for control can't kill each other directly. You know, I think that's what we see with well, the mean, two of them. Well, I mean, there's that whole scene at the end of season three where Jack has Locke on the ground and he has a gun pointed at his head and he pulls the trigger and nothing happens. Hmm. I mean, is is that like, I mean, that's kind of, a, I think it's kind of an echo. I can't kill you. you well, know? you know what? That's a good point. And that, that's not the first time that happens because at the end of season three, we just saw the showdown at the top of the, at the top of the mountain with the transmission tower. Uh-huh. Jack Locke says, don't make that call or I'll kill you. And Jack says, go ahead. And he can't. You yeah. Know? So again, I mean, there's there's certainly something to this that it might be kind of an ongoing and a repeating struggle between two leaders who can't directly kill each other for one reason or another. But again, that doesn't necessarily answer what the rules are and why what how they can be broken. I think certainly time travel uh, might be one of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I. I'd like to certainly see that come up in season six. Kid Flash writes, biggest mystery to me, what does going into the temple do to change people? Richard Alpert takes young Ben inside to save him, saying that he will be one of us. Daniel Russo's friends were obviously changed as well after being dragged into the temple by Smokey. My guess, the person going into the temple dies. Their bodies are possessed, but whatever is possessing their body has all of their memories and can fool people for a period of time. This could also explain evil locked to a degree you know i think that's certainly a good question i mean we so we well first of all we have both the idea of brainwashing or possessing somebody which mm-hmm. which which you know he's describing there's also room 23 which has come up a few times right. here, where it seems to be kind of a more you know mechanical or human way to reprogram someone but certainly changing the outlook of somebody or changing their mind is key um so i i, I think that 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 is true that either you get 
you know, forcibly killed and or taken, you know, and, and possessed in some way, mm-hmm. or that this is the more, I guess, gentle process to become part of the the machine. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what happened with Ben, and yeah. that that's what's hap- what happened with the Russo's team. I don't know. Any thoughts on that? That well, that's a really good point. I mean, we do see Locke getting dragged into the hole, and he comes out, and I I, I don't know. Maybe that's the point where there's more than one. No, Locke. he was stopped from going in the hole. He was rescued from going in the hole. Oh, he so was. He oh, okay. But, but he was certainly wanted at that point. So I don't mm-hmm. think your point is entirely lost. That certainly being dragged down in there um, does something to you that that kind of you know puts you in a certain mindset. I'm I'm suddenly reminded of the scene where um, Locke and son are talking i think this was actually a deleted scene from season uh-huh. five and Locke and son are talking after they 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 get to each they connect with each other on um, the barracks island right and Locke says this is weird for me too i know i'm not supposed to be alive and i know it's weird but it's weird for me too i'm mm-hmm. the same guy i always was yeah so i think that there is also a point to what kid flash is saying and that even when you are taken over and become one of the army or part of the part of the group that there is still an element of your true self still left mm-hmm. in there. So that's how Locke can still have his moments of weakness or human frailties or or be flummoxed and that's how, you know, Rousseau's team still kind of interacted with Rousseau even though she immediately knew something was going mm-hmm. on there. I personally am confident that this temple business and I mean that's where all of the other others, the surviving others have been hiding out since season 3 or 4. Yeah. So I th- definitely think that it's going to come into play during season 6. Wes in Memphis writes, while the island was flashing through time during the Little Prince, Locke and company are trying to get to the orchid and use an outrigger canoe they found on the old beach camp. During their journey, they notice that they are being pursued by another outrigger but cannot see who is in it. After being fired upon, Juliet begins to shoot back and hit someone in the other canoe. I was sure we would find out who that was in the other canoe during the incident, but since we didn't, I'm hoping that we will during season six. So my questions are, who was in that other canoe? Did Juliet kill a future version of one of our losties, specifically future Sawyer? Whoa, I don't know. Well, I mean, yes, that is certainly on our short list as far as something that they they gave us as some kind of possible paradox and mm-hmm. didn't pay off. So I will vote yes. That should be coming up in season six. Yeah. But who do you think it was? I mean, we we have already speculated, but do you have any stronger thoughts on it? It would be a nice little twist if it was some kind of future version of them. But I'm I'm guessing it might be somebody we haven't met yet. It would be really surreal if it was Sawyer, though. I mean, uh-huh. or, or or yeah, if it was if, if it was themselves, certainly. Um, I I I think also that. You know, that was such a neat and clever way for them to possibly introduce something later on that um, we're going to see that explained. I think that it's definitely going to be some of our original Losties in that other canoe. But now, you know, he raises the question or uh, Wes raises the question who it might be. And I hope it's not, you know, I hope it's not a fatal wound if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Um, Haley O from Portland, Maine writes, Mr. Echo and Jin are going after Michael in the jungle and they hide in the bushes because the others come walking by. We're only shown them from foot level and they are dressed in their ragged clothes and someone's got a teddy bear. When it aired, the others were still a big mystery. But this bothers me now that we know they were only dressing poorly to confuse the Losties. Why were a number of them walking around in their ripped clothes, totally silently and away from everyone for nobody's benefit? And Yan from France had the same question. I don't know. It just, it seems like people, 
in bare feet and ragged clothes might be a little bit more scary than people who look like they dress from a J. Crew catalog. That's my guess. I think it was just a psych out. So you think that when they found those costumes in the closet and the hatch and all mm-hmm. of that, 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 again, that fake beach camp, that everything that we were seeing as far as these creepy characters and being dressed in ragged clothes was just theater, that it yeah. wasn't actually yeah. some kind of menacing thing. I don't know. I mean, again, I, I, suddenly I feel very fixated on um, you know Richard Alpert, the pirate. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that uh, there's something to basically giving you an idea that there's a native culture here. There's an ancient culture here, whether it's pre-Black Rock, pre-Latin, pre-something, that there is a community and a history that we're going to get to or that we better get to that is, you know, that the that the four-toed statue is the most blatant, um, you know, indicator that there is a story that goes further back. I Again, mm-hmm. I don't think I want to see more time travel. I think that there might be, a, there still is a way to explain, though, the history of the island uh, without going back to the 70s or, you know, yeah. t- taking an yeah, others class. So, Absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to go against you and say that, that there was something significant to the way that they were dressed. Tommy J in Ohio says, why did the Swan Station have a modern washer and dryer, but everything else was from the 70s and 80s? Well, I mean, this was an early mystery yeah. on the show. Yeah. And do you think it was explained sufficiently? I don't think they ever they ever got to that, no. Well, I mean, that, it doesn't seem that, uh, you know, you, that would be on a on an air, drops, uh, air supply drop was, oh, here's a new washer and dryer from Sears. So I, I, I certainly think that that kind of anachronism was a fun thing that the writers or the set dressers wanted to come up with. It was a line of dialogue, mm-hmm. as in fact Tommy J points out, um, that they discussed how that could possibly be. But yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not sure if I necessarily have an answer to that. I'm not sure. I would definitely not put that high on my list as on things <laughs> to, to demand an answer for. Thomas writes, the entire beginning of season five was spent talking about how they all had to come back to the island as we know. Aaron and Ji-Yun didn't come back. Why was there so much time spent on this scene when it never really happened? And what are the true repercussions? Well, I think we kind of got the answer to that. I mean, yes, the the flight was not perfectly recreated. They yeah. were very explicit about their failure to correctly recreate the conditions of the crash. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it didn't clearly go the way that it should have gone. You had some people landing in the 70s. You had some people crashing with a Jira on the island. I think that the repercussions of not everybody being on the plane was things not being as going as smoothly as far as their return to the island right. could possibly be. Um, I'm not sure if the, uh, again, I think that's an interesting question, but I wouldn't argue about it. Mark T. writes, as loss comes to a conclusion, what interests me most is the backstory of Jacob, the man in black, and their relationship to the others. In particular, I'd like to get some insight into these lists aha, that Ben had that were supposedly from Jacob. Damon and Carlson have stated, I believe, that Jacob is good. How does that tie into Ben's actions on the island? He says that he's one of the good guys, but he seems to always act out of his own self-interest without any regard for anyone else. Is Ben Jacob's chosen leader that has gone astray, or was he led astray by the man in black? If so, why didn't Richard straighten Ben out? We've had the backstory on the Dharma Initiative. Time for more backstory on the others and what's been going on there, including where Cindy and the others from 815 have been. Yeah, absolutely. I have to know where Cindy is and the children. That's a, that's one of the big things to me. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's that whole group at the temple. I, I think that that's a significant part of the, the story for season six. But the whole thing about, you know, has Ben actually been interacting with Jacob or has he been actually talking to Man in Black all this time? I, I think I've come around to thinking that the Man in Black has been tricking some people into thinking he's Jacob. And Ben, if he's following orders, he's following his orders. What do you think? I, I think the Man in Black and Jacob are 
equally adept at deception. I think maybe they've been tricking a few different people for a little while. I don't think, I really don't think the man in black is evil. I think he's just a different side of the same coin as Jacob. Right. I certainly don't think that uh, anyone's come out. I, I don't believe that Damon and Carlton have said one is good or bad. I think they're opposite sides of the same coin, as you put it. Even um, our, our, our good friend Jesse's call, the part that we didn't include, he says the same thing, that I don't think we're talking about good and bad here. I think that there is a merit, there is merit to either of their positions in that conversation, whether free will or being you know, subject mm-hmm. to temptation in free choice uh, is something, you know, something that we really need to look at seriously. Um, but uh, the list and why certain people were on the lists, um, I think that could be, you know, I think that could come up. I certainly would, wouldn't would uh, mind seeing some kind of, uh, you know, why, because you know what this comes down to? This comes to why these people, why they were chosen, there must, you know, is there a list with everybody we know on it? Mm-hmm. Is, is there an original 815 list and what is that all about? So definitely a good question, Mark. Brooke writes, I got an answer to one of my questions. Why does Pierre Chang use fake names in the orientation films? I just finished watching the commentary on Because You Left. During the scene where Chang was filming the orientation film for The Arrow, Damon says Chang uses fake names just as a part of a little quirk that he likes to get into character before he films. Worst answer ever. I hope season six is filled with many better answers than this one. Well, that's interesting, you know. I I, mean, we I hadn't think, gotten to that yet, yeah, actually. We, so uh, so there's one explanation. Just like, you know, Libby was upset because her husband was killed. Some answers are going to, by necessity, be pretty simple or not really have any deeper significance than it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, and again, we're going to have to, I mean, I think one of the best outcomes of this entire exercise, this podcast about all of the questions and mysteries that we've got is that we're going to have to come to terms with the ones that we're going to demand to see mm-hmm. and even if we don't get those how we're going to you know live with that I, I i think it's a fact of you know basic practical truth and a fact of good storytelling that there's going to be a lot of loose ends left and whether we can live with that or not i personally am fully expecting you know, some things not to be tied up. And I actually kind of look forward to that. It might give us an opportunity to talk about the show for another 10 years or so. Well, I think what we can come up with in our imagination is better than anything anybody can write down. Right. And I think if they don't answer even a significant portion of the questions we have, that's great. It can, you know, like you said, it can generate a lot of discussion. It can generally generate a lot of imagination. Um, It can make you think about things that you had never thought about before. So, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. So, I mean, as Brooke points out, she got the answer to one of her questions. Why did he use all those fake names? I think that the ideas that we might've come up with to answer that question would have been far more entertaining. So don't always think that answers are what you want. Well, Really, there are some bigger questions. I think that there's a bigger picture, so let's get to some of those comments before we wrap up. Vera in Russia says, The most burning question is, what's going to happen to the people we come to know and love on Lost? Will our favorite characters survive what the powers that be have in store for them in the last season? We have 18 more hours of Lost to enjoy, and frankly speaking, I'd prefer some mysteries, as we said to remain unsolved. Very good. Absolutely. Harold writes, I am most interested to learn how the entire exercise, all the trial and trauma and travel back and forth across space and time amounts to a heroic story. Do these characters meet and exceed their limits and extend their limitations? Do they transcend themselves? Do they reach their potential, realize their own natures and gain well-being? If some 
become heroically bad. I'm okay with that, but I want to know how all of this makes sense in conjunction with the human drama, people striving to achieve being. Less than that will make Lost to have been merely episodic, portraying another set of trivial experiences, just as another show to be replaced by yet another and to be forgotten. Right, again, you know, I think we there are many uh, mythology questions we want answered, but we fell in love with the show for the characters, and yeah. it's how things turn out for them that we want to know most. Continuing this theme, Gavin here in Pearl City writes, actually, I hope they don't answer too many questions. It would be boring to simply receive answer after answer if the show ignores the character interactions. Damon and Carlton know about the danger of over-explaining things. I mean, look at midichlorians in the Star Wars <laughs> mystery. So I have faith that they will skillfully balance the line between character and mythology. I just hope that fans will understand that there isn't enough time to answer everything and that they won't be disappointed by the end of the series when inevitably there will still be some loose ends left hanging. And yeah, again, again that's yeah. where we are. Character and mythology well-balanced. Doc JKM writes, I predict and hope it won't satisfy at the moment of initial broadcast, but will cement Lost's reputation in time to come. This will allow each of us to answer questions in a manner that satisfies us. We have to be given some delicious mysteries, and I want to savor them. I hope they don't solve a lot of mysteries, but evocatively pull back the curtain for a look at the wizard. And through that look, with diligent insight, we can begin to understand the questions. I think really it kind of goes back to the comment from Harold as well. I mean, we don't want Lost to be another TV show. We want it to be the kind of big, grander picture of the human experience that we believe it to be. So that's going to come with some of the uncertainties uncertainties that come from real life. Yeah. I definitely like the perspective of a lot of our, our listeners. I mean, Harold goes on to point out uh, in a later comment that in an interview with the live feed, uh, Damon Lindelof says that the only question the most important question that they actually care about is truly what is going to happen to these people what is the character resolution and i for one am perfectly happy with that set of priorities yeah all right well we got so much stuff i mean and you have no idea <laughs> alex in san diego sent a list of 42 questions francis Allgood sent 70 questions i just saw there is a podcast out by wendy where she has a hundred and eight questions and <laughs> there was stuff that we didn't include Claire Siegel Kate's horse uh, you know animals of course the glass eye what's what is Frank a candidate for that was one of your questions yep. you know the whole thing about a lot on the Russian hospital so trust me we know that just like the show itself this podcast completely failed to answer and address <laughs> every single question that was raised but still I think that uh, it was a good conversation and I did want to throw to you Jen this last unique question from Mark from your home state of Florida <laughs> Mark writes my unanswered question question that I really hope gets answered before the end of season six is what will Ryan and Jen do next? Could it be back to Hawaii up or something else? Whatever it is, I'm sincerely hoping season six isn't the last transmission we get from the island. You guys rock a lot. Oh, and I always oh. really appreciated your show. Oh, so, thank you. Okay, it was a little self-serving to include that comment, but I mean, a, f a lot of people, I mean, now as we're moving into this final season, it's definitely a frequently asked question for us here at the transmission. Jen, what, what are you thinking? We're going to do after this season? I have some things in mind. Mm -hmm. I have some ideas that have been rattling around in my head for a really okay. long time. And I'm going to try to incorporate them into another show. Another podcast. Yeah. I, I, and I'm fully on board with this and it's going to be by Jen and Ryan. It's going to be Jen's podcast and Ryan just the dorky producer um, because <laughs> if there's anything that I've always admired about my wife here is she's just this unending, you know, bottomless font of 
knowledge about pop culture. I mean, she can see a character in an episode of Law and Order and tell me 10 other things that he's been in and where he grew up. So, I mean, <laughs> there's got to be something done. The world needs that talent. Okay, maybe not really, but I think, you know, there's a lot of fun to be Well, I have to, to use it. I exactly. mean, it's just sitting exactly. here going to waste. Gotta... So, um, we definitely do, I mean, you, 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 I cannot put into words how important the transmission has been for us as a couple up until we started it together. Being a nerd and being on the internet was something I did. And, you know, Jen mm-hmm. basically rolled her eyes. This is now a, a, a an enterprise that we do together. And it's so much fun. We've never been closer. And you have been part of this family. And it would hurt too much to give it up. So for those of you that want to stick around, there will be another chapter. And it even has a name. Pop spotting. Yes. Pop Spotting, and you can find us at popspotting.net. <laughs> you can find us at uh, twitter.com slash popspotting, facebook.com slash popspotting. And actually, if you go and check out the popspotting.net website, you can actually hear some what we're calling prehistoric pop. We're talking recordings of Jen and I in 05, 06, before we had any idea but what we were doing. But I kind of wish you wouldn't. Yes, Jen doesn't actually, she actually did not want those posted, but I thought that it was kind of a neat, you know, artifact from the very birth of this podcasting enterprise, something that has become what it is today. And again, you all have been a significant part of our lives and what made it so rewarding and so special. So that all comes after season six we can't wait for that but again we just wanted to express how much we how much we really appreciate your being here these were just some of the unanswered questions in this podcast and surely we're going to see them answered to some extent in season six we really appreciate your feedback and thoughts and for contributing to this special edition of the transmission even though we could really only include some of it in this podcast Finally, we'd like to take a moment to specifically thank some listeners who recently gave us great feedback on our podcast over at iTunes. Mahalo to RX57, DCR5595, Soup Dog, DeBarth, Madtown Lost, Millstone Mom, Anna Lubis, Jose Mexico, Angela B., New York Isles 131, Hyatt Das, Danny D01, Weddle C, MC Stitch, Shani Mac 3T0, and Clayton and Rockwall, Texas. And actually, I also want to say, in a way, kind of thanks even to the guy who gave us our first one-star review on iTunes. <laughs> because, you know, you got you to gotta stay humble. And uh, apparently this person was very upset that we have spoilers, you know, in the forward cabin where it's at the end with, Lots of warning. Okay, I mean, whatever. oh, well, whatever. And also because, you know, my voice is annoying. And I got to admit, I, mean, I got to give him that one. But in oh, any case, stop it. you know, we really appreciate those reviews. They also certainly help bring listeners and new people into our Ohana here. And again, we're not joking around when we say that this podcast is powered by you. We love hearing from you. Feel free to email us at any time at lost at whatyup.com. You can post comments on the blog at whatyup.com slash lost or call and leave a message on the lost line at 815-310-0808. As season six gets underway, we're hoping the conversation on the blog will be as rich and entertaining as always. We'll blog each new episode when it airs on Tuesday and your thoughts, however you choose to share Share them, whether it be email, on the blog, or on the phone, will likely be the best part of the podcast we put out over the weekend. So please come by after every new episode because we definitely need your help to help us navigate the final season of the best show ever. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, finally, we're going to reward you for helping us through the hiatus. Now, you followed along as we rewatched Lost's third season, and the least that we can do is give away some special lost prizes so stay tuned 
now it's time to give away some prizes. Woo-hoo. This is our first big giveaway here on the transmission, and it's perhaps the best and only time to do it as we're now on the brink of the last season. Absolutely. Now, I have to admit, the logistics were a little more complicated than I thought. We got over 500 emails since our hiatus rewatch began in September until our season three finale show in December. Ultimately, I had to be a big geek and an arts and crafts guy, downloading all of the emails separately, stripping out the headers to make a spreadsheet that I could cut up into little bits of paper and not losing a finger so that we could put it into a bowl for for our drawing. There's no Ernst & Young accounting firm here, unfortunately, but to nope. add a little extra element of chance, we have a very special guest to help us draw our names. Katie, our daughter, who turns 12 this week. Happy birthday and welcome to the transmission. Welcome, Thank Katie. you and what's up, everyone? What's up, everyone? Now, you may know Katie as the voice you briefly hear at the start of some of our podcasts. Um, she thinks that she sounds a little bit like uh, Jen, so you can, you can either help her or disprove her of that impression. So I think it's time to give away some prizes. Now, if you win, don't worry. We're going to get in touch with you. And if you don't, just remember, you know, we still love you. And in fact, we've got a little something for everyone that we're going to tell you about in a little bit. But first, what's our first prize? Our first prize is rare swag from the Damon Carlton and the polarbear.com ARG. That's right. This was uh, the things that they gave out when you had to go all to these different cities, whether it's a comic book store or a nightclub, and um, they were giving out clues that help you get these posters. Now, the posters were awesome, but I personally think that these these swag items that they gave out were more rare and more special. So this is a travel brochure from Oceanic Airlines, and I think you're going to like it. And Katie, who's our winner? Matt A. Matt A. From an undisclosed from location. An undis- <laughs> for perhaps in the underwater hatch, Matt A, a Gmail user. And uh, you'll definitely have to wait to hear from us. We probably have a few Matt A listeners, but thank you for participating in our rewatch. What's our next prize, Jen? Our next prize is a copy of the Season 3 and Season 4 albums from The Others Lost Band. Yeah, they are a great band. They're based out of Massachusetts. Yep. And we've been featuring their songs throughout our Hiatus podcast. And they were kind enough to send, a, send along some really cool special packages. Actually, the, um, the the CDs come in a bag. And others recyclable Yeah, and bag. others recyclable bag that you can take to the grocery store. It's got buttons and stickers and patches and all kinds of cool stuff. All right. So we've actually got two of them. So we've got two winners from the others. Katie, first winner. Jason B. from Dover, Delaware. Jason B. from Dover, Delaware. Congratulations. Winner of one of our others lost band sets. And our second winner is... Hannah from Illinois. Hannah from Illinois. Congratulations to both of you. All right, moving on. What is our next prize? Copies of Nikki Stafford's great book series, Finding Lost. Oh, absolutely. Nikki is a great friend of our podcast. I've contributed photos to her books. Um, We've got several books, so I think we're going to break it down. First, the season three edition of her book, because we just did the season three podcast. So our winner is Katie. The Hippie Pink Flamingo. The Hippie Pink Flamingo. That's a great name. So the Hippie Pink Pink Flamingo, congratulations. Undisclosed location. Also another undisclosed location. And uh, who wins the season four and season five editions of Nikki Stafford's book? Steve Mr. Bad from Fairfax, VA. Virginia. Fairfax, Virginia. Steve or Mr. Bad, congratulations for winning Nikki, Nikki, two of Nikki Stafford's books there. All right. What's our next prize, Jen? 
a limited edition Benjamin Linus bobblehead doll courtesy of Entertainment Earth. Oh, man. I got to admit, for all of the people that were writing in to participate in this drawing, this was probably one of the hottest items. And it is pretty cool. It had... It, it is. Yeah, it's, it had the longest line at Comic-Con. Yeah. It was it, actually... It was a very fast-moving line, and it was actually kind of fun to stand in it. And Ben looks very cool. Very cool because he's very creepy. All right. So who wins the Benjamin Linus bobblehead doll? Samantha J, you lucky girl. I love mine. Hey, <laughs> she, that's right. Katie did get hers. She actually took hers out of the box to wiggle that bobblehead. But Samantha J, a uh, Hotmail user, will get in touch with you. Congratulations. You win the Benjamin Linus bobblehead doll. All right, Jen, I think we've got one more little prize to yeah, give away. Yeah, a little prize. It is the Lost Season 5 Special Edition Dharma Initiation Kit DVD box set courtesy mm-hmm. of Buena Vista Home Entertainment. This thing is so cool. It has on VHS the the Dharma orientation video yep. starring Marvin Candle. It's got patches. It's got well, it's got a special secret little envelope that we were too chicken open up, but it's a copy of the truths between the others and and the Dharma initiative, right? And there's uh, and I, I just kind of like how the DVDs themselves are packaged to look like old floppy disks. If anybody even remembers what those things look like, um, so we got our own. But the one you're getting is pristine. We haven't touched a thing, and maybe you'll get the special secret uh, submarine patch. Definitely let us know. But I think I'm just dragging it on, Katie. Tell us who wins this prize. JL or JJ from Australia. Hey, an international winner there winning the season. You know what will be interesting, JJ, is that I'm not sure if you're in the right region for this DVD That's thing. That's true. So we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Uh-oh. We'll see what we can do about this. But uh, hey, a winner is a winner. And frankly, this box set is good enough just to have up on, on your mantle somewhere. So congratulations, JL in Australia, winner of our Season 5 DVD box set. And thanks again to all of you for listening and to the hundreds of you that sent in emails, comments, and calls to keep us company during this hiatus. We couldn't and and really wouldn't have done it without you. And of course, I do want to thank our special Vanna White uh, prize-picking person here. Thank you, Katie. (laughs) Thank you. That's right. It's great. Happy birthday. Thank you. All right. We'll be hearing from you later. Well, that was a nice, fun change. There. Yeah. And we're not done, though. We're getting ready here for the Sunset on the Breach premiere of That's Lost. Right. And for the event, Ryan has made some T-shirts, buttons, and stickers for the Hawaii Lost fan club. Mm. We'll have information on how you can buy a T-shirt online or on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. The buttons are a special treat for those who are coming out here to Hawaii for the event. But we'll be happy to send you a sticker, mm-hmm. especially for your laptop, your Dharma your forehead, whatever you got. <laughs> exactly. We want to get these to anybody who wants them. Just send a self-addressed stamped envelope to the transmission, P.O. Box 61639, Honolulu, Hawaii, 96839. And of course, we're going to put that address on our site as well, so you don't need to get into an accident trying to write it down. Again, just send us an envelope with postage, and we're going to put a sticker in it and send it back. Now, we know it's not a DVD box set, but <laughs> it's just a little something from us to you, and hopefully something special to mark this epic year. Be the only person on your block with a Dharma Pineapple Station sticker. Coming up in about three minutes, the forward cabin, but first paving the way, a little musical interlude. This is a song by Bare Naked Hurley. Mm-hmm. His real name is Paul Orlando Kageji, and he's released a number of great lost song parodies. This one is called Charlie Man. It's four o'clock on some other day 
bunch of us go for a swim There's a Scotsman drinking next to me It's McCutcheon's with nothing else in I'll sing you a song cause I'm Charlie Man So listen you drunk Scottish son Cause before our plane crashed on this island You know I was a bloody rock god With a dad who's a con man Who continually ruined his life And so Ben brought him onto the island And demanded John cut off his head But he didn't have the stomach to do it He got Sawyer to kill him instead Oh, something new all everybody Now Jack had performed spinal surgery On a man that he'd barely just met Then they left Jack for dead And they went on ahead So he came back with Miss Juliet I'll 
sing you a song Cos I'm Charlie Man So listen you drunk Scottish sod Cos before I'm a plane crashed on this island You know I was a bloody rock god That was Charlie Man by Bare Naked Hurley, otherwise known as Paul Kageji, a great lost musician. Some would say the original lost musician. And he, in fact, is going to be launching a new lost podcast just in time for season six, along with Chris Oatley. Now, their podcast is going to be called the Lost Revelations Podcast, and you can watch for it on the Lost Podcasting Network. I think it's going to be great to hear Paul's voice once again and hear directly in yeah. the Lost fan community. Now it's spoiler time. You are now now entering the forward cabin. This is where we hide production news, rumors, spoilers, sightings, and all kinds of fun stuff. So if you don't want to know, you might want to skip ahead. Exactly. Like like that guy. Now. <laughs> yes, turn it off because it's a really, really crowded forward cabin. You know, we haven't had a report since last year, so there's a lot to catch up on. Now, over the Christmas break, I wanted to say I ran into a guy I know from UH, and his brother was actually in a few scenes. Cool. And of course, I don't know when this was. This is all now third hand, but I thought it was still interesting enough to pass along. Now, there were scientists in this scene doing things on the island, I guess, running around in the jungle. I think I mentioned earlier there was a chase scene with Sawyer, and so they actually did a couple of scenes in Kaneohe at the Omega Station. Now, that's actually a place that's hard to reach. It's where the uh, stairway to heaven is, the haiku stairs, but that's also where they filmed the Hydra Station and where Room 23 was. So, basically, he said there were scientists that were doing work on the island. You know, Saeed kind of comes and takes out a couple of guards and they're getting in there and someone meanwhile gets electrocuted and so this guy got to you know get to to carry a guy out on a stretcher and to me Mm -hmm. it sounds like a scene this the opening scene for season four or you know early on when the guy gets injured um over at the construction of the swan so that was just sort of the the appetizer now moving on to the active filming where they returned to work a couple of weeks ago after their christmas break so on monday the 11th of january a really fun shoot downtown they were at the office of the Attorney General on Queen Street. They put the words airport courthouse on the side of the building. And I'm not Mm -hmm. sure what an airport courthouse is, but okay, (laughs) I'll run with it. And it was a scene with Charlie. Yes, Dominic Monaghan and Desmond, Henry Ian Cusick, and Dominic was dressed in the gray and black striped shirt and the jacket and hoodie that he was wearing Mm -hmm. on the airplane. And so in this scene, Charlie comes out of the building. He's apparently been released from the airport courthouse. He's got a plastic bag with his personal effects and a woman's there with him, probably her lawyer. And uh, Desmond drives up in a silver car and he walks up to them and the woman basically tells Desmond, all right, he's all yours. But instead of talking, sticking around and talking to Desmond, Charlie just walks away. He strides away. You know, Desmond, he bends down to pick up a piece of paper and he walks after Charlie, but Charlie just walks straight into the street. Um, cars skid to a stop, a stop or swerve around him and they're honking their horns, but he doesn't flinch. He's basically acting like he doesn't care. You know, Desmond does stop. He checks his watch as he follows after Charlie. But anyway, it was a really good shoot. Um, mm-hmm. Very dramatic and certainly with the cars screeching and the horns honking, it drew quite a, quite a 
crowd. Um, a lot of people got great video clips that they sent to me, so I put those on YouTube. You can find them there, or um, I link to them from my blog at hawaiiweblog.com. But, you know, always fun when they kind of do work with cars, and there's more of that coming. Um, they actually repeated that exact same sequence with the same set of cars and the same things happening out in front of Anna Bananas later that day. Now, that's kind of a, uh, I don't know, I guess I call it a dive bar, a college bar yeah. near the University of Hawaii. And uh, they basically both go into the bar and uh, they rename the bar Jax, J-A-X. And uh, I definitely want to thank um, a lot of the people that were down there to see all this stuff. Mr. Darcy, Michael, Steve for their reports and again for some of those video clips. Um, but the car fun wasn't over. And in fact, Tuesday the 12th was a big day. They were down at the Waikiki Marina that's in back of the Ilikai Hotel, very close to where they took the picture that becomes the famous Desmond and Penny picture. Mm -hmm. um, but they were back there to do a big car stunt. So um, kind of going out of order of the filming, but explaining the scenario, it's another scene with Charlie and Desmond. And you've got Desmond. He's driving that silver car, and they're driving along the marina when they get into an argument in the car. Charlie grabs the wheel and yanks it, and the car flies into the marina. It crashes into the water with a big giant splash it was a big car stunt <laughs> it took up a lot of time to set up and you know thanks to the hospitality of a guy i just ran into his name was captain dave he was a former hawaiian airlines pilot now living on the water he wants to go to india but in any case really interesting guy who let me sit on his boat and watch them do this car stunt and it was really complex and again took like five or six hours for something that lasted maybe 15 minutes the car didn't have an engine and it was towed into the water with this kind of 90 degree pulley it really reminded yeah. Yeah. Mythbusters if you watch that <laughs> show but in any case what was really interesting was the first time they tried it, that it, it, it failed. They the, the truck took off that was pulling the car, but the cable snapped. There's a big you know cloud of dust, and so they had to reset everything and get everything back into place and do it once again. It was really interesting to see them do this work, and and even with the take that worked, where the car does fly off this ramp and into the into the marina into the ocean, um, it kind of snagged on the cable on its way in and flipped onto its roof, so it actually sunk upside down. So um, from what I understood they actually came back um, the next day to do it one more time. I, I didn't even see that one, but they really wanted the car to sink right side up because they're going to have to film what happens in the car later, oh, so right. you can't have the car upside down. But in any case, very dramatic, really great. I was able to post photos to Flickr and a, a, a video of both the failed take and the correct take on YouTube and on my blog, and if you want to check it out, you could. It's, it's really cool if you're into seeing filming at work, and, and you don't mind the spoilers, certainly. They had to use this big giant crane to pull the car out and I mean just really significant I mean we talked about this shoot coming up during one of our podcasts mm -hmm. during one of the forward cabins in December and certainly it did not disappoint when they did it so my assumption is you know whatever happened happened and course correction and so on I mean basically Charlie it seemed like was going to drown again and that was really starting to depress me I mean certainly you can see how that might work narratively but I didn't yeah. necessarily think I wanted to see it again the good news is I mentioned that second day a visiting fan his name is Doug or he he goes by Digi Doug. He was actually in Hawaii for an education conference, and he was there on the second day. And uh, he saw them filming a scene where Desmond apparently rescues Charlie. So they surface on the surface of the water. Charlie is unconscious, but Desmond is pulling him to shore saying, come on, come on, come on. So it didn't seem now at that point that um, things are going to end for Charlie the way that I certainly feared. That's so that good. certainly was a relief. Now, last Wednesday, they were at Bishop Museum. It's a uh, 
you know very good, nice museum that we have here in Honolulu. Yeah. We're members. Our families are members. The, they were out on the great lawn out in front of the museum, and basically the steen was for a big ticket fundraiser for the Golden State Natural History Museum. There was a concert stage, a giant tent, flowers, all kinds of good stuff, um, and basically this fundraiser was being hosted by. Eloise. So she cool. was there. And in the scene, basically, Desmond comes in. He's got a stitched up gash on his forehead. So obviously, and hopefully, as a result of having survived the car crash into the water, and he's looking for Penny. You know, he, he confronts Eloise. He's trying to see the guest list and Eloise takes it away. And what, what uh, Eloise says is, you're not ready, Desmond. And Desmond yells, ready for what? And he's just really upset and he storms off. Um, but again, you know, it looks like Desmond and Penny might to have to be fighting once again to be back together again. I want to give credit to Carrie and Michelle, who were actually at Bishop Museum for class. And there was another source for this um, filming report. Who could that possibly uh, be? I can't remember. Um, I think her name is Jen. Yes, I think she was there with her daughter, who we <laughs> just heard from. That, that was a really interesting coincidence there. A, a great scene. Um, Thursday, the next day, they were filming at St. Francis Medical Center, otherwise known as Hawaii Medical Center East on Lilija. Once again, actually, Jack was there. That makes sense. The doctor, as well as Desmond and Charlie, and apparently Dr. Chang, although mm. my source, I think we'll call her Nurse Jackie, wasn't familiar with the actor, so she just said there was this kind of stern-looking, older-looking Asian dude who was the doctor. So the scenario for this scene is basically, as we mentioned, Desmond has a head injury and he's told that he needs an MRI. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's just a head injury or maybe Desmond is now starting to see things. I'm going to, that's a complete speculation, mm. but that'd be kind of interesting. But Charlie was there too. And again, so this is apparently after the car crash at the marina. And um, Charlie goes to Desmond and says, you should not worry about me. You need to go look for Penny. And then Charlie takes off running away in a hospital gown and the hospital <laughs> staff is chasing after him. So, you know, there's kind of a little chase scene and he's pushing around carts and stuff. And then Desmond gets into the elevator and he makes a phone call. Apparently, to try and find somebody who can help him find um, Penny. And I don't know who that could possibly be, but I've got a couple of guesses. <laughs> so um, credit goes to Nurse Jackie there at HMC East. And uh, it's, it's it's always good to, to hear from folks who are really close to the action, but also don't really even know what they're watching. And then the, the conversations are always weird to try and say, well, did he look like this or did he look like that? Um, Non-fans are the most interesting sources for filming reports. Now, not surprisingly, they're obviously filming scenes out of sequence, but basically it looks like from all of these scenes that Desmond goes to get Charlie out of jail after the incident Oceanic 815. Mm -hmm. You know, he's um, he gets hauled off the plane as we reported last year. So basically, they cross the street to a bar, they have a talk, and eventually find themselves at the marina where Charlie causes them to crash into the water. And when Charlie almost drowns, Desmond saves him. And in the hospital, Charlie sends Desmond after Penny before he escapes. I'm not sure what the next chapter is for Charlie, but basically, Desmond then goes to that fundraiser put on by Eloise. She tells him he's not ready for something, and so on. So an interesting sequence. I mean, it was several days in a row with those two actors. It was kind of neat, basically, to see what seems like a pretty a pretty understandable sequence of events mm -hmm. unfolding. So if you're a fan of either uh, Desmond or Charlie, that's going to be a great episode for you. Now, Friday, they were back at the Ko'olau Golf Course. Now, this was the scene of that fantastic film report last year where a visiting fan basically got to hang out on set for the entire day, but they were back there once again. But this time, it was for another fancy fundraiser. I don't think it was the same fundraiser as the one we saw at Bishop Museum. Um, they
they filmed out in front of it. They had some valets parking cars. They had Hurley's Yellow Hummer. So um, Jorge Garcia was there, a limousine, and parked nearby. My favorite uh, prop for, for the season so far was a white Santa Rosa Mental Institute van. Cool. And so that was cool. I got a picture of that. Um, I guess, you know, Hurley is basically there to be recognized for some donation or support that he made in support of the cause. And what's really interesting here is, of course, in this you know world, he's a successful lottery winner and apparently driving around doing well supporting charity causes. So why is the Santa Rosa Mental Health Institute there? Mm. Well, what they filmed was Hurley seeing someone climb into that van. And that person was Cynthia Watros or Libby. No. Yes, the Libby, the Libby, the we're done with Libby, Libby oh Smith. He's, you know, there's, we're done with her story. I don't know what happened, but Cynthia, with Cynthia Watros is or was back in Hawaii to film scenes. So there may, in fact, be that top mystery answered for us here on Lost. I was really excited to hear about that. And actually, credit for this report goes to visiting fan Carrie once again. She was very busy. Um, Saturday, and they don't normally film on Saturday, they were in Waikiki. They were filming at the old Nike Tau building on the on the west end of Waikiki, and it was a Desmond and Widmore scene. Not much really to report. Everything was basically in an office. They had paintings on the wall, but lots of green screen, basically in all sides. So this could have been anything yeah. or anywhere, frankly. But in any case, uh, Zag Bueni from Chicago also happened to be here and 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 actually texted me, and we had, had it was an interesting conversation trying to figure out who he was. I'm not sure if English was his first language, but a great report. So thanks for that. Now, Monday, they were, this past Monday, they were back at the Honolulu International Airport, and they were recreating that arrival scene that they actually filmed last year, at least Mm -hmm. in part. So remember, we reported on basically the arrival of Flight 815. I don't think this shot is for Episode 11 or 12, which is what they're filming now. I really think that this is something that they're going to insert back into the the premiere for season six with the landing because um, it seemed like they brought the same extras back and uh, set up the same people to kind of match that. So, but still, I mean, to have them back at the airport was always cool. And what I think was the the reason was because they had to, they got an actor in that uh, wasn't originally available. So, uh, Basically, Hurley was there, Desmond was there, Claire was there, and a new actor who wasn't there in the original filming, Minkowski. No way. Yes, Fisher Stevens, everyone's favorite little guy, (laughs) is back. Minkowski was there for the airport filming, and in fact, he was a limo driver for Desmond. So oh, cool. Desmond gets into a limo driven by Minkowski. So basically in the scene, you know, they're at the lot, the, the baggage claim. Desmond and Claire kind of walk out of the baggage claim together, but they go their separate ways with Desmond again, getting into Minkowski's mm-hmm. limousine. So cool. special thanks to Corey M. for that report. Um, they were on, on that same day, they were at the YWCA once again. Gee, what do you suppose that is? Yes, it was the <laughs> Santa Rosa Institute. It was with uh, Hurley and Libby filming there. Um, credit goes to Anne, the lost fan. Of course, when they're there, they can pretty much be locked behind closed doors. So apart from the lights outside the windows, who have right. no idea really what unfolded in that scene. Now, Tuesday uh, was my favorite day. Um, they were filming out at Ala Moana Beach Park. They were actually just down the road from my office. So I went by to check it out. And I'm really glad I did because what was depicted in this scene almost made my heart melt. And if you talk about spoilers and things you hear that you may or may not want to hear, this might be close to that other end. 
just so you know, because basically the scene was Hurley and Libby having their picnic on the beach. Yes, the oh, picnic no! that they didn't get to have, that tragic failed you know, romantic moment uh-huh. actually seems to unfold. They basically walk together and find a spot on the sand. And yes, yes. Hurley remembered the blanket, a big blue blanket, and he puts it down on the sand and they sit and they dig into their picnic basket. And I got to admit, I started getting really mushy inside when the last part of the last shot of that scene on the beach was Libby leaning over to plant one on Hurley. Very touching. So uh, again, a a wonderful development. And again, with all of the frustration over Libby's character, whatever it took to get Cynthia Watros back, I'm glad they did because this is going to be big. Um, Later that day, I read on Twitter that they were filming at Popeye's Chicken, otherwise known as Mr. Cluck's Chicken (laughs) Shack. And yes, indeed, it was that again. And there was a Mr. Cluck's van parked out in front. Um, There was an extra walking around with an actual bucket full of real chicken with the Mr. Cluck's logo (laughs) on it. And because um, Jen and I were actually coming into town for a special event, we stopped by there. So we we met up with a couple of other fans and we watched them do a little bit of filming. Um, Hurley was there, not surprisingly. Randy, his Uh boss. Um, The reason why Randy's present, I thought Randy's presence was interesting to me was that, you know, we had an earlier scene or earlier reports last year of Locke and his, you know, encounter or things not going well for him at the box company. Yeah. So for for Randy to end up at the chicken shack, um, I don't know. That's going to be an interesting thing to kind of to, to, to un- untangle there. But in any case, so they were there. But Desmond was there as well. You saw oh, Desmond. He yeah. kind of gave you a little grin. Uh-huh. Yeah. You, uh, it took a long time to bring you back down from that particular <laughs> moment. But so that was a kind of a cool shot. Um, and it's good to see Mr. Cluck's back. I mean, uh, I, 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 I remember when I first saw that set several several years ago. Now I I, I made a, a Cafe Press T shirt with that logo on it. So maybe that'll come around again. You know, maybe uh, we can all be employees of Mr. Clucks. <laughs> um, I think our last report will be Wednesday. They were filming at August Aaron's Elementary School in Waipahu. And, you know, this is just the car stunt scene podcast because it was another car stunt scene there in the parking lot of the elementary school. The car was a silver BMW. It was not the same silver Mercedes that Desmond was driving earlier, although, of course, that car you wouldn't think would necessarily be useful after landing in the True. But in any case, the scene is this: the silver BMW hits lock. Oh man! Yep. Well, I mean, I guess basically it's lock because what was actually seen was the car hits a bald stuntman in a wheelchair. But I don't think that could be <laughs> anybody else but Locke. And uh, basically, it was pretty dramatic. I mean, the stuntman flies over the roof and he lands on his back behind the car. And then they did some close-ups with what was apparently Terry O'Quinn lying on the ground on his back in the parking lot. So very, oh, wow. very, very in tune with, I think, what we're beginning to understand about Locke's lot in life. Um, We've had the filming report earlier with him being basically leaving the box company with his stuff in a box and running into Hurley and, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is really you know, distressing to see how things might go, even if he's may or may not be dead off the island it doesn't seem like that might be that that's necessarily a better fate for him that very same day uh thanks to my friend melissa we found out they were filming at pearl ridge shopping center they were at a mexican restaurant called banditos i love that place yeah it's uh, right next to where the theaters used to be next to denny's but in any case the name of the restaurant was changed to spanish johnny's and uh, the scene was with hurley and libby and Dr. 
Brooks. Yes, mm. that was Hurley's doctor in uh-huh. the institution. He's the guy who took the picture to show to Hurley that Dave wasn't right. real. So he was there. Uh, I, I can't remember what the actor said. Bruce was. Davison. Bruce Davidson, very good. I was thinking, I don't know, I was thinking of the guy from St. Elsewhere, but in any case, so uh, they're there. But again, as we're finding, it is Libby, not Hurley, with the connection to the mental institution. So Libby and Hurley are having, I guess, a date or at least talking at a restaurant when Dr. Brooks comes in and takes um, Libby away. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what the context of that scene will be, I don't know, but uh, certainly sounds interesting. And once again, thanks to Melissa for the heads up on that scene. Now, final report was actually just in from today, not on my notes because of that. But um, a couple of visiting fans actually here for the sunset on the beach premiere next week. They're already here mm-hmm. and they decided, oh, we're going to go hike on the North Shore. Why not? That's definitely a place you want to visit if you're a lost fan. Um, Paul and Steph, and they actually came across what I thought was a really cool site. They found on an old airfield the fuselage of an airplane. Yes, really? a big, giant fuselage for an airplane. Now, no, it's not a real, actual fuselage of a giant airplane. There is no way in heck I'm I'm pretty sure that J.J. Abrams could talk ABC into buying another plane <laughs> body, and there is not enough left of the original plane. Um, but So this is made out of wood, but basically it's the exterior of a plane uh, made out of wood, and it wasn't painted. I figured they're going to insert whatever airline it is, so we couldn't quite figure out what that is. My guess is that it's actually a Jira 316, which yeah. is still on the island and as you may know when we were seeing it in the in the show it was more digital comp you know com- composing in there and and effects rather than there actually being an airplane it looks like now they're going to be working around and near an actual airplane set so that was pretty cool and they actually saw that they were filming closer to the beach camp the famous beach camp with like echoes church and all of that that's right. back in and use again unfortunately they were actually filming inland so they couldn't say much although they were able to meet uh, terry o'quinn And Henry Ian Cusick, and actually somebody who was like a 12-year-old boy dressed like another. So my guess is that's Zach. I'm not sure where all of this goes, but in any case, certainly a good day here for a couple of visiting Lost fans. And of course, this upcoming weekend will be a great day for thousands of visiting Lost fans. Mm -hmm. But we get ahead of ourselves. That is it for the filming reports for this Forward Cabin, and that means that is it for this special episode of The Transmission. This show is powered by you, so please send us an email, comment on the blog, call the Lost Line, post a note on iTunes, even tweet us on Twitter. We love hearing from you. You can email us at lost at whatyup.com. You can comment at whatyup.com slash lost. You can give us a call at 815-310-0800. Or as Jen mentioned, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at Hawaii and she's at Mrs. Hawaii. We're also on Facebook. He's Facebook.com slash Ozawa and I am Facebook.com slash Jen Ozawa. That's right. We'd appreciate it if you included a note letting us know that you know us through the transmission. Exactly. And I got to admit, Jen's actually a little more addicted to Facebook than I (laughs) am. But you can find her there. Once again, everybody, thank you a million times over for being a part of the Lost Ohana. 2010 will be an incredible year for Lost, and we can't wait to spend it with you. This final season of Lost is just days away, so we'll talk to you soon. Stay lost. Aloha. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. 
Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com. <laughs>